Well, good morning, Bethel. Let's bow our hearts together and uh, come before God as we prepare to look at his word. Heavenly Father, we love you. You're so good. You're so kind to us. And you've given us your word to speak to our lives today. I ask that you would lead my words and that you would guide our reflections, that it would be pleasing to you. Holy Spirit, illuminate the truth of your word and give us faith to follow it. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. At about 4.20 in the morning, five years ago, around five years ago, right in the center of town here in Strathroy, there was an incredible accident. Freight train was driving right through town in the early hours of the morning, and it got derailed, went, went off the track right in the center of town. If you have lived here for a number of years, you will undoubtedly remember this. If you are newer to town, then uh, you can picture it. It's actually just like right down the street from, from the church here. It was right outside of the Via Rail uh, train kind of drop off and A&W there. 13 giant freight train cars went off the track and, and brought our town to national news and a local standstill. To state the obvious, trains are made to run on tracks. I know that's nothing radically profound here today. At least it might not seem like at first. But for a train to operate at its fullest, for a train to be able to thrive, to do all that it was made to do, it must run along the tracks. And if it goes off the track, it leads to colossal chaos and national news. You and I, friends, we are very much like a train. We are made with a purpose to, to thrive. God has this intent for us. He has designed you and I to have life and life to the fullest. That's the heart of God for you and I. And the scriptures text that we're looking at today shows us that, that we have tracks that God has laid out for us to run on. Tracks that we are made to travel upon. Tracks that are for our good. Tracks that make it possible for us to live and thrive and be all that God wants us to be. But it's also going to show us that we have gone off the tracks. And when we go off the tracks, it leads to colossal chaos too. And so open your Bibles with me and turn to the book of Romans. Book of Romans, the end of chapter one is where we're going to be. We're going to be continuing this teaching series we've been doing through the book of Romans, and we're looking at verses 18 to 32 today. Paul, so far, you may recall from past weeks, or go online, check them out, and go back and see the first two weeks we've been in. He introduces himself to this group of Jesus followers, Christ followers, in the ancient city of Rome. He declares his message that he is bringing to them, this good news message of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Pastor Nick last week did a powerful message unpacking that good news that we see out of verses 16 and 17. And today, I want us to walk 
walk through, first of all, we're going to walk through our text. It's a little bit longer section of text, but we're going to journey our way through verse by verse, and then we're going to circle back, and we're going to finish off in our second half by reflecting upon what do we make of this today? What, how do we process and understand and, and even apply what God's Word says for us here? How do we apply this to our lives and understand this today? Okay, so we begin in verse 18. Verse 18 begins and says, The wrath of God is being revealed. That's the same word actually that came up back last week in verse 17, talking about how God's righteousness has been revealed. The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all godlessness and wickedness of men who suppress the truth by their wickedness. The wrath of God is being revealed before us, it says. The, the wrath of God, the wrath means anger or displeasure. And that, that might feel like a rather archaic word, a, a word that, a phrase that we don't really hear mentioned too much now, but maybe from a bygone age where you would hear that talk about. But I don't think actually it's as foreign to us as the concept anyway, as we might first assume. I, I mean, think about the day. Do you, do you remember not too long ago when it started coming out in the news and you first heard about the incredible, heart-wrenching, horrible atrocities that were done to hundreds, thousands of children victimized. And, and as we started to hear about the stories of unmarked graves with hundreds of these kids around our nation, do you remember the feeling that, that you had then, the, the feeling that that even still begins to, to well up in your gut and in your heart when you think about that injustice and that horrible atrocity and the things that were done to those children, it, it's just wrong. It, it, it's just not supposed to be that way. That, that feeling of righteous indignation, that feeling of anger, that feeling of it's just wrong. That's the very heart of what is coming out in this word when we see the wrath of God. A righteous indignation from God towards something that is wrong and, and it's just evil. It's just wicked. Now, why is the wrath of God being revealed? Well, according to our text, what we see is the wrath of God is being revealed because God is plainly known and yet denied. The wrath of God is being revealed because God is plainly known and yet he is denied. Verse 18 speaks of people who suppress the truth by their wickedness. Just push it down, hold it back, la, 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 I'm not listening, you know, as they just indulge in wickedness. Verse 19 says the world is a gigantic billboard. What may be known about God is plain to them because God has made it plain to them. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, both his eternal power and his divine nature, have been clearly seen being understood from what has been made so that men and women are without excuse. See, we do not live in a world where God is playing hide and seek with us. He has created a world that is like a giant billboard saying God exists. 
This is designed, this is, has a creator behind it. Let me give you another train illustration. If you live here in town, in Strathroy, you will be familiar with the train that runs right through the center of town every day, multiple times a day. And starting at seven in the morning, every single day, that train roars through town. And as it's approaching, it blares its horn. It blares its horn so that no one will miss this gigantic wall of metal that is going to go whisking right through the center of town. It blares its horn so that no one will miss the fact that this train is coming. And God says, that is what it is like with the creation that I have made everywhere we look and everywhere around us. It's like a train horn blaring so that all will hear and see that God exists. That God has made all of this and all of us. That it is designed and there is a creator behind it. God's existence is plain to us, our passage says, but, verse 21, although they knew God, they knew about him, it's plain, they neither glorified him as God nor gave thanks to him. But their thinking became futile and their foolish hearts were darkened. It's plain. It's obvious. But our hearts, our hearts are dark. And we've rejected. We've dismissed. We didn't listen to the Creator and to the creation that's shouting out, there is a Creator. Although they claim to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images made to look like mortal men and birds and animals and reptiles. Our, our world, the people of our world, the people around us, you and, and I, we have exchanged the amazing, majestic, glorious, wonderful God in favor of some flippant little image. They exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshiped and served created things rather than the creator who is forever praised. Amen. Why is the wrath of God, the displeasure of God, the anger of God, the righteous indignation that's like it just shouldn't be so? Why is it revealed? Because the wrath of God is being revealed because God is plainly known and yet we have denied him. God is heartbroken over this and he says it shouldn't be I've given you so many ways to see, and it just shouldn't. It's wrong. How, how could you? How is God revealing his wrath? Well, what our text says is God is releasing people to pursue their sinful passions. The way God is revealing his wrath is by releasing people to pursue their sinful passions. God has come to this point where he has said, look, I have warned you and I have warned you and I have, have pleaded with you and I have tried to help you, but you just wouldn't listen. You just wouldn't follow. You ever found yourself there with, 
with someone you love, you know, parents with a child or, or with a good friend, a close person that you really love in your family, where, where you know the, the path they're going down, you know how this is going to turn out. You know this is not going to work out for their good. You, you see the writing is on the wall of how much damage and destruction and hurt and pain is about to happen. And you, you warn them and you plead with them and you, you try to do everything you can to come alongside them and encourage them and tell them not to go that way. And, and they just keep not listening. And there finally comes this point. You've ever been there where it rips your heart out, but you finally have to be like, you know what? Okay. Okay. I, have it your way. Have it your way. And that's what God is saying here, friends. Three times in this passage, we read the words, God gave them over. Verse 24, therefore God gave them over in the sinful desires of their hearts. Verse 26, again, because of this, God gave them over to shameful lust. Verse 28, again, furthermore, since they did not think it worthwhile to retain knowledge of God, he gave them over to a depraved mind. The displeasure of God, the anger of God, the wrath of God is being revealed in our midst even today, as God says, okay, I will give you over to the passions of your sinful, broken hearts. You know what that saying, be careful what you wish for, you just might get it. You know that saying? That's us. That's our world. Men and women running headlong after sexual lust. Verse 24, God gave them over in the sinful desires of their hearts to sexual impurity for the degrading of their bodies with one another. Verse 26 continues, God gave them over to shameful lusts. Even their women exchanged natural relations for unnatural ones. In the same way, men also abandoned natural relations with women and were inflamed with lust for one another. Men committed indecent acts with other men and received in themselves the due penalty for their perversion. See, when God releases us to our sinful passions, sexual lust runs rampant. And some would, would want to believe or argue or espouse that, that we have recently discovered a new, you know, progressive sexual ethic in our, in our day and even in the last number of years. But what we see today here from God's word is that what we have is nothing new. It's nothing new. This letter is written 1940 years ago. And we are not now new and more advanced. We are just doing the same things we've always done. Let me give you one example of kind of going back in the day. Not a modern example, but actually from Paul's time 
when he was writing this letter, that the emperor of Rome, when Paul wrote this letter, his name was Nero. And he is historically known, he's historically known, Nero, the, the ruler of the world when Paul is writing this, is known to have slept with his mom, to have married his stepsister at 15 and then divorced her at 24, to have married a guy and the first guy that he married, he took on the role of groom and his 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 husband took on the role of, of bride, but then he got married to two other guys. And in that case, he decided to kind of flip the roles around and he actually took on the attire and the garb and the role of the bride as he married two other guys. This is the leader of the Roman world 2,000 years ago when Paul's writing this letter. And this being released to pursue our sinful passions did not just distort and send off the rails what was going on in the bedroom. Verse 28, furthermore, since they did not think it worthwhile to retain the knowledge of God, he gave them over to a depraved mind to do what ought not to be done. They have become filled with every kind of wickedness and evil and greed and depravity. They are full of envy and murder and strife and deceit and malice. They are gossips and slanderers and God-haters and insolent and arrogant and boastful. And they invent ways of doing evil and they disobey their parents. And they are senseless and faithless and heartless and ruthless. Sinful passions had led to a utterly depraved mind. Our entire thinking, acting, passions, heart has been poisoned by sin as we have been released to pursue our passions. The way we treat each other, the way we think about ourselves, the way we interact with our families, the way we think about God. In every part of us, God has said, okay, have your way. And as a result, the poison of sin has seeped into every part of us. We've gone so far down the rabbit hole that we celebrate our depravity. Verse 32, although they know God's righteous decree that those who do such things deserve death, they not only continue to do these very things, but also approve of those who practice them. In our hearts, we know what is right and what is wrong, but we suppress the conscience that God has given to us, and we not only do the very opposite of what God has said to do, we celebrate when others do it. This is the description that God gave of the people in the Roman world, in the world 1,940 years ago through the Apostle Paul, and not much is different today. Now, what do we do with this, dear friends? 
brothers and sisters, as we hear and read and see all of this, let's just be frank and honest for a moment. God was, was calling out a way of living back then, but this could just as easily have been written last week in terms of the, the lifestyle and ways of looking at the world and at people and at ourselves. It could have just been the evening written last week. And what we have in front of us is a message that is frankly calling out everything around us, the TV, the news, the sports, the politics, the schools, all of it. It's calling out the things that that is praised everywhere as good and saying, whoa. It's calling out what our culture has entirely embraced its arms around. It's challenging the chorus that is celebrated from the rooftops today. The scripture before us raises countless questions and brings up some pretty big struggles. There's there's no question. So, So some will want to, when they see these big questions and struggles, will want to just you know, just dismiss this text immediately and say, there's no reason to even go down this. Like on the one hand, there's some who are going to be like, what we're looking at here is the Bible. It's the word of God. It just is what it is. Get over it and you got to obey it and follow it. And just, there's no reason to question or, or wrestle through this or whatever. It just is what it is. And that's the one extreme. And then there's the other extreme that's like, this is so like archaic And are you seriously saying that this would be relevant in 2022? Really? And on both sides, it's like, we just need to throw this out. Any questions or struggles or discussions. But here's what what I want to do. I I don't want to do either of those sides. Here's what I want to do. I want to invite us to, my hope is, humbly, kindly and graciously ask some questions. I don't want to lob any bombs across any aisle. I want to have us get harsh or angry, but I I want to with gentle and what I hope are humble hearts, ask some questions as we think about what is in front of us here from God's word. And here's what I think is the first question we need to ask, all of us. Whose voice will I trust? I think we all need to ask ourselves that question. Whose voice will I trust? There are loads and loads and loads of voices, right? And opinions and perspectives when it comes to all this stuff that is before us. Sexual ethics, lifestyle, morality. Who will I trust? Who, who, whose voice will I go with? Do I, do I listen to the biggest group of people? You know, the, the leading popular opinion of today? Do I listen to a certain book? Do I turn to a popular figure? I don't know whether it's a musician or a politician, or, or maybe it's not a famous figure, but, but am I particularly inclined to listen to someone that is really close and near and dear to me? Do I turn to a certain set of experts, scientists, doctors, 
Do I try and find my tribe of people who seem to kind of resonate with the similar journey that I have been on and that's who I listen to? Do I listen to myself and my thoughts and my ideas and my feelings? Whose voice do I listen to? Whose voice will I trust? Whose voice will I look to to help me understand the world around me, myself, my feelings, my thoughts? Who will I turn to and trust? And we have in front of us the voice of Jesus. The voice of Jesus who led by his spirit, the apostle Paul, to write down this passage for us. Consider, would you? Consider with me the one who has given us the words that we are looking at. This Jesus, he he is the one who literally, historically, physically came and walked here on earth many years ago, flesh and bones, and he lived a life that was perfect spotless, faultless in every way. This Jesus who is speaking to us here from this book captivated people with his wisdom and with his teaching and with his compassion and with his care. This Jesus is the one who who noticed and loved and welcomed the marginalized and the forgotten. This Jesus is the one who had the power with a word to stop the wind in its tracks. This Jesus is the one who made a man who was born blind able to see in an instant. This Jesus is the one who went to a funeral and literally brought a person like out of the casket and raised them back to life at their own funeral. But even more than that, this Jesus is the one who claimed to be the very son of God, who claimed to have the power to forgive the sin of the whole world, who claimed that he was eternal and infinitely old, And this Jesus was the one who was publicly executed by professional executioners who was buried in the ground, for three days was buried in the ground, and then he was miraculously raised to life, the miracle of all miracles, and then he went around and hundreds of people got to see him alive and touch him with their own two hands and talk to him and see and eat with him before he ascended into heaven. They wrote down their accounts. They're preserved for us today. And he did all of this. Here's the kicker. To show his love for you and for me. He did all of this as a a rescue mission to fulfill the plan that God had orchestrated for all of eternity. He did all of this with his mindset upon going and suffering for something he didn't do. Who was he suffering for? He was suffering for us. He stepped in the gap as a substitute for you and for me for the wrongs that we had done. He was punished so we could be protected. He died so that we can be made alive. He was broken to pieces so that we can be restored. And if that is true, 
If that is true, if Jesus really did all of that and said all of that and accomplished all of that, even on the cross and was raised from the dead, if that is all true, friends, is he not worthy of your trust? His character is more upstanding than anyone who has ever lived. His claims are more audacious and yet validated than anyone in the world's history. His compassion is greater than anyone who has ever walked this planet. All of this was validated when he did the miracle that no one else has ever done. Dead, three days, in the ground, raised to life. And he did all of this with you on his heart, on his mind, in love for you. As, as you consider, as I consider all the voices around us about all of these ways of sexual ethics and lifestyle and morality and all of this stuff, and we're trying to discern whose voice will I trust, is there Another leader, is there another activist, is there another doctor or writer who has shown himself more trustworthy than Jesus? Is there another person who brings a better resume to the table to say, I am trustworthy than this one? Is there another person who has demonstrated greater love for you than Jesus who laid down his life for you? I am convinced that there is no one more deserving of my trust than the one who spoke these words. There is no one who is more deserving of me listening to than Jesus who did all of that on my behalf. I mean, think even of myself. Am I more trustworthy than Jesus? Like, I, I can't even do the things I set out to do. I so often look at the mistakes, the things that I mess up, and I'm like, I don't even understand why I reacted that way and what was wrong with me and how come I'm trying to figure out what is even going on inside. Am I more trustworthy than Jesus? I think Jesus is more trustworthy than anyone ever. And so if that's true, to use the language of our text, should we not trust our Creator more than any of the created things? Should we not be listening to Jesus for His voice to give direction to my life, for His voice to give perspective for me on the world, for his voice to give perspective on myself, for his voice to help me understand the definition of who I am. Of all the voices that could be listened to, I choose to trust his voice. Which leads to a second and final fundamental question. But... His voice pushes against my heart. If I'm really honest, and isn't that a good thing to do when we're here for church? If I'm really honest, I feel like his voice 
pushes against what I feel inside in my heart. As I was preparing this sermon, I came across an interview that I would highly, highly, highly recommend. Extended interview. It's actually the link is in the small group questions for this week. It's an interview talking with a man named Sam Albury. Sam Albury, in my personal opinion, is the leading voice. He's pastor, writer, apologist. Um, He is the leading voice in our world right now, in this generation, in terms of talking with with care and wisdom and winsomeness on, on the gospel, on Jesus, on sexuality and identity, those things coming together. He, he is profound. He, he is self-professed as one who has same-sex attraction, but is very much a strong, born-again follower of Jesus. He's written a number of books, including Is God Anti-Gay? And in this interview, Sam, he, he shares the, the journey he's been on in terms of faith and identity and, and just sexuality and all of this stuff. And it's incredibly insightful. And at one point he shares this story, this interaction a couple of years ago that, that he had after he preached at this one particular church. After he finishes the sermon and the service ends, this one man comes up filled kind of with like anger and vitriol towards him and just like feels the need to just, I guess, let off of his chest. Like, I just cannot understand how you could be attracted to another man. I just don't get it. And he's just like felt the need to just put this off of his chest and dump a giant pile on Sam. And Sam didn't share exactly what his reaction at the moment was, but he reflected in this interview after the fact, and he had this most profound statement. L- listen to this. It's profound. Sam made this comment. He thinks my sin is unique and his is just common. He thinks my sin is unique and his is just common. This chapter in Romans, friends, the voice of Jesus coming out from this chapter, the gospel message that is declared from these pages and the pages to come in Romans pushes against every single one of our hearts. All of us. None of us have just common sin. That is not a big deal. This is not just a passage just about homosexuality, singling out that as if it's somehow unique. Sin has distorted and damaged all of us. And every person and all of our being have been tainted by the poison of sin. If you're not seeing that, go back and just start reading in verse 28 where it says, Furthermore, since they did not think it worthwhile to retain the knowledge of God, he gave them over to a depraved mind. And then it goes on to list 21 other different ways that sin has marred seeped into our souls and our hearts and our minds. This text, if we are actually seeing it for what it really is, pushes against all of our hearts. The voice of Jesus pushes against all of our hearts, saying we all need help. We are all broken. We all have souls that need saving. We all have minds that need renewing. We all have hearts that are aching. Every one of our sin-soaked 
souls has embraced the lie of verse 25 in this passage. We all have and we have all exchanged our creator for the created. We've been caught up, all of us, in the ultimate con job. See, God's ways do push against our hearts because our hearts are broken and bent out of shape. And God's ways do lead in a different path than the chorus of voices around us. But God's ways are good, friends. God's ways are good. The tracks for a train, yes, they restrict the train. But the tracks are what makes it possible for the train to operate. The tracks are what makes it possible for the train to thrive, for it to thrive and do all that it was made to do. Going off the tracks is how we end up in a colossal mess. God is for you, friend. Wherever you're coming from, Whatever feelings, thoughts, emotions, things that are going on in your head, in your heart, in your body, God is for you. And he is for your good. He is the God who made you and who knows you. He is the creator and you are his created. And God desires for you and for I to find soul-satisfying joy and peace and purpose. The soul-satisfying joy and the peace and purpose that you're longing for. That you are made for. His tracks are not trying to hold you back from that. But his tracks are leading us right to him where that is found. I love the words that Jesus says, the truth declaration he warns and encourages with. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy, but I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. Jesus holds out to each one of us an invitation, a fullness of life that is found in himself. A fullness of life that is found on the tracks that lead to him. Life and friendship and community and identity and intimacy and safety and hope and protection that actually delivers. And, and not just for a day or for a week or for a moment, but for eternity, friends. The, the joy and the peace and the intimacy that you are made for. Jesus is is for you. And Jesus has your best in mind. And what this text is showing us is, is it's giving us a warning of what life going off the tracks will turn into and saying, no, 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 come back to me. This is the hope that is offered out to every single one of us. I, I love the, the promise that was given hundreds of years before Jesus came, but it was, it was prophesied, promised about what was going to be offered when Jesus came. It's in the prophet Ezekiel. When Jesus comes and says, I will give you a new heart 
and I will put a new spirit within you. I will remove your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh, and I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. And so I just need to ask, friends, from your home, even right now, have you first received that gift of the one who is for you? The one who came and lived and died to rescue you and to wash you clean and to give you a new heart, to replace that broken, dead, bent out of shape heart and to give you a new heart of life. Have you received him? Have you given your life to him? You can today, even right now from your homes. He hears you. All you need to do from the sincerity of your heart, no matter what you're going through or where you've been or what you've done or anything, no one is too far gone. For Jesus, who says, I came for you to give you life, call out to him from your home, friends. And then if and when you do, or if you already have given your life to him and he has come into you, I love what that said there in Ezekiel, that he gives us a new heart. He places a new spirit within us to give us power so that we now begin to look at his decrees and his laws with hope. We now begin to see the tracks that he has laid out for us. Amongst the chorus of voices that might think they're crazy, we begin to see that these are good, that these lead to life, that they are for our good because on these tracks, we are taken right to God himself.
Friends, thank you so much for inviting us into your home today, for watching and uh, worshiping together and for hearing from God's word. I really pray that this good news of great hope for every single one of us has been an encouragement to you today. If there's any questions you might have, if there's any things you want to discuss, if there's any things that are still kind of unclear or you're trying to wrestle through, or if there's any ways that we can just come alongside and be a help to you in your spiritual journey as you're getting to learn about Jesus and follow after him, we would love that. And so here's the best way that you can do that, okay? The number is right there on the screen. Send us a text. It goes right into our staff inbox and uh, uh, we would be delighted. I'd be privileged to get to follow up with you, answer any questions or even arrange a time to kind of chat in person or on the phone or on Zoom or whatever would be best for you. We'd love to come alongside and pray with you. Have a wonderful week, encouraged by this glorious good news of Jesus Christ. And we look forward to seeing you here next Sunday with us at